0: Welcome to, To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our
1: relationship with God. Well, welcome to Calvary Chapel Crossfields, to all of you on the live stream. We thank you for joining us tonight. And we, live, we are certainly living in interesting times. The last time that I was here teaching through the book of Job, I went through Job chapter 10, and there was something at the end of that message that I didn't have time to get to that I'd like to share with you tonight. And I think it is fitting given what we go through, what we're going through now in light of the circumstances that uh, society is dealing with, because we understand in a greater way that in this life we're going to suffer in some way. We'll experience pain and death and sickness, and whether it's As individuals or as a society, tragedies and crises and disasters are going to happen. So people ask, how do we reconcile those things with a loving God? And because we know the story of Job, we understand that he also faced tragedy and difficulty and um, calamity in his life. And as we go through these conversations that he has with his friends, those same questions are coming up. And I've come to a realization in this study that it really all depends on our worldview. Because although Job was a believer in God, his worldview was definitely influenced by outside factors, by other people by by their interpretation of who god is and on and their interpretation on how god deals with his creation why things happen and we are all the same we are all influenced by outside factors we may we may know god we may believe in god and we know that ultimately he's going to work things out nevertheless when we go through a trial, whether it's an individual trial or a worldwide calamity as we're seeing now, we can be swayed from that solid anchor of truth by a lot of different factors. It's really um, an interesting thing that we see when people go through this time. I've seen awesome things During these several weeks, I've seen people reaching out to one another more than they ever did before. Even with all of the social media we have, I've seen so much more of people reaching out. But the way we look at these things, the way we perceive, the way we interpret these things, all depends, again, on our point of view, our worldview. There's an author, Jeff Myers, who wrote a book called The Secret Battle of Ideas. And this is what he has to say, and I think it's, it's appropriate at this time. He says, you live in the crosshairs of a secret battle of ideas. The enemy's objective is to win this battle for your mind. Satan knows your life will reflect the ideas you adopt. In fact, it's likely that this battle has already affected you, though you may not realize it. And then he goes on, and he says, Bad ideas are floating around us like infectious diseases. These ideas sicken us, and worse, make us contagious. We can spread idea viruses without even realizing that we ourselves have fallen victim to them. We would never intentionally expose ourselves to a viral infection. Yet, when it comes to destructive ideas, It's as if we refuse a flu shot and then invite crowds of people to gather around us and sneeze on us. We expose ourselves to idea viruses because these deeply flawed worldviews promise to deliver the things we desire, such as peace of mind or some form of spiritual power or protection against the setbacks in life. With so much suffering... In life, there's no shortage of idea viruses that promise to solve the problem. And you know, I was supposed to mention that two months ago when I taught through this part of Job, and I didn't get a chance to do it. And it's interesting now as we're in this environment in our world that. Um, We can be infected, we we can succumb to, we can be affected by, influenced by other ideas about God, about his relationship to his creation. The problem for Job came when his view of God became clouded, and that's really where our problem begins also. The existence of human suffering is arguably one of the most common and difficult problems raised against the goodness of God. It's what people bring up the most, isn't it? When, when you talk to them about God, well, where was God in the midst of this? Why would God allow this type of suffering? And I think for us as believers, we need to have a biblical perspective On these things. We need to have a biblical worldview. And then we're we're able to then get through these things ourselves and also be able to affect others for Christ. And a couple of points as we just think about these things before we jump into Job eleven tonight. A couple of points is that suffering is the result of mankind's sin and rebellion against God. That's where suffering started. That's the, it's the result of that. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, humanity started to deal with the consequences of that decision. And we're dealing with it ever since. And it's maybe no, no fault of your own specifically, but humanity in general is dealing now with these consequences. Sometimes people suffer from wrong choices of other people. You know, you maybe have been a a recipient of that. Other people have made wrong choices, bad choices, and it's affected you. But then you understand as believers that God can even use those things for good. Think of Genesis 50 and the story of Joseph and his brothers and, um, you know, that uh, that beautiful attitude that Joseph had When his brothers came around him and, you know, his, he had a a correct biblical worldview of God. He said in verse 20 of chapter 50, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Think about all of the ways that the gospel is going forth now than it never did before. You know, I know Pastor Vinny um, spoke about, you know, the people that have reacted to the videos that he's put up. People that may not ever set foot in a church, but have heard the gospel because of this. You know, the enemy means it for evil, but God can turn it around for good, that many would get saved. Sometimes God allows suffering so that people will turn to him in repentance and not perish for eternity. You know, Luke 13 tells this story about all these all these people who died and the questions were brought that were they were they more evil were they worse sinners than anyone else? And Jesus puts everything in perspective. And he says that tragedy comes upon the righteous and the wicked. And we know that, we see that. In this world, it says in verses 1 through 3 of Luke 13 there were present at that season some who told him about Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise, likewise perish. What Jesus is saying here is we are all going to suffer. He said in this world we will have tribulation, right? But be of good cheer for he has overcome the world. His desire is for us to be saved. And he knows that this world is a fallen world. We need to understand that too. And that we're going to suffer things in this world. And just because we suffer, just because Job suffered greatly did not mean that he was a greater sinner than other people. As a matter of fact, God uh, looks at Job as righteous, one of the most righteous men who ever lived. And so Jesus says, no, tragedy comes upon the righteous and the wicked. And ultimately, God's desire is that all men repent and be saved and be with him forever. Sometimes Christians suffer so that they could be made complete in Christ as God sanctifies us day by day, sets us apart more and more for his purposes. In James, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That is how we grow sometimes in our relationship with God, through trials, through difficulties, as we persevere through them by his grace. And sometimes believers suffer so that they can know Christ more fully. So we can identify with Jesus Christ. You know, how much he suffered for each one of us. And he was was for no fault of his own. He was completely innocent. And so Philippians 3.10, it says, that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. We identify with Christ when we suffer. We become more like him when we suffer. And isn't that, as believers, what we want, to be more and more like Christ? And James puts it all in perspective in this one verse, in verse 11 of chapter 5. He says, Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. We need to remember that God is working out something in each of our lives. We may not see it. We may not even know it until it's come to pass or even beyond that. But we need to trust him in everything that's going on in our life. In Job chapter 10, you know, we're seeing this conversation between Job and his friends and they each come in and they each attempt to counsel him and minister to him. And we see in Job chapter 10, Job defending himself before his friends and before God. And Job's main complaint is that since God created him, why does it seem like God had left him alone in this trouble-filled world? In his defense, he proclaims that he's basically a righteous man, certainly not as bad as the wicked people who don't believe in God. Even if God only gave him what he thinks he deserves, or his based on his version of righteousness, right, then he would be better off. Again, Job's ideas of God, his... Vision of God is a little clouded because of the circumstances that he's going through. As Christians, we should come at this whole issue of suffering from kind of a different angle than the world does. We're told that throughout the Bible that God is love, right? And his interaction in our lives is always for good. Yet it is in that very statement where the confusion lies. If God is good... Since God is good and his interaction in our lives is always for good, why do we experience so much suffering in this world? Job's, and I call them so-called friends, try to give an answer to that question to Job. Basically, they tell Job that if he hadn't been such a sinner, then he wouldn't be suffering as much as he is. In chapter 11, we meet a new character on the scene, Zophar, probably, uh, according to many commentaries, the youngest of Job's friends. And we'll see in his conversation here, you can hear the, almost hear the anger in his words. He's really an angry guy. And like Job's other friends, Zophar's timing is way off, way off. See, Job didn't need a slap in the face right now. He needed a compassionate shoulder to lean on. He needed a sympathetic ear to listen to him. But instead, Zophar goes on and makes three accusations against Job. And I think we need to keep an underlying um, principle here in mind as we go through this. And that is that we will have opportunities to minister to people, especially at times like this when everyone's suffering. Everything's changed around us. And people that you meet everywhere. I, I got gas in my car today, and the guy pumping gas, his name was Josh. We got to talking for, for a little while, and he seemed concerned and worried. He has a family. And we're going to meet people that need to be ministered to. We need to be very attentive to the Holy Spirit, how he leads us. And instead here, Job's friends, their, their timing is always off. So he makes these accusations against Job. He says, number one, Job is guilty of sin. Number two, Job is ignorant of God. And number three, Job is determined not to repent. Now that should make him feel better, right? After all he's been through. So in verses one through four we'll jump in and then we'll kinda we'll kinda unpack it here a little bit tonight. It says, Then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke you? For you have said, My doctrine is pure And I am clean in your eyes. So this is the first of Zophar's accusations against Job. He's guilty of sin. And that no matter what he says, his many words are not going to vindicate him. And Bildad told Job the same thing back a few chapters before. In verse 2 of chapter 8, Bildad said, How long will you speak these things? And the words of your mouth be like a strong wind. Basically, he was telling them he was a big blowhard. That Job, you know, his words were were not going to vindicate him. It's just talk. Talk is cheap, Job. Zophar is telling Job that he hears him speak of his righteousness, but God's judgment is telling him a different story. God's judgment is Clear indication of Job's guilt. Zophar is saying that if Job continues to try to defend himself, then Zophar and his other friends has every right to put Job in his place. Now, does that sound compassionate and gracious and merciful and sympathetic toward Job? If somebody was came up to you at this time when when everyone's going through difficulty and expressed poured their heart out to you. Is that something that you would say to them? No. And again, it's a, it's this having this wrong world view of who God is and why things happen in this world. But it's not it's not what Job needed. And you know, admittedly, Job's words may have been harsh. Job's words may have been wrong at times. The sentiment behind the words was really what was the most important. He was in pain. Job was in pain. And he even admitted that some of the things that he said as he complained, pour out his complaints before his friends and before God, some of the things he said were too harsh. Zophar here failed to do what good counselors are supposed to do, and that's to look beneath the surface. Look beneath the surface of what's going on. It's not always as clear as what it looks like. So when we have opportunities to maybe counsel or minister to or make someone feel better at this time in need, we have to sit with them and we have to be willing to really hear their heart as well as their words. Because sometimes the words that come out of our mouths are just wrong and we don't, it it doesn't come out right and and sometimes there's, there's emotions behind it that, that shouldn't be there. It's just because we're in pain, we're hurting. And so we need to be able to sit with people and, and give them the time to express their heart and understand what's going on in their lives. Zophar failed to do that. And he goes on. His second accusation here against Job is that Job is just ignorant of God. And ignorant of God's ways. And Zophar knows much better who God is and of his character. So in verses 5 through 12, he goes on and he says, But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you, that he would show you the secrets of wisdom, for they would double your prudence. Know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by, imprisons, and gathers to judgment... Then who can hinder him? For he knows deceitful men. He sees wickedness also. Will he not consider it? For an empty headed man will be wise when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. Well, I'm going to save verse 12 for later because it seems to be just thrown in there and it has to be pulled apart and explained. But. Listen to what uh, Zophar says here. But oh, that God would speak. Job, you would understand. If only God would speak now, he'd be saying to you the same thing that I'm saying, Job. You're a sinner. You need to repent. The tragedy that came upon you is because of your sin, Job. God would be in lockstep saying the same thing that I'm saying. That's what Zophar thinks. Well, eventually, as we get through the book, God is going to speak. And Zophar is going to be pretty surprised when he hears what God has to say. Because God actually rebukes Job's friends more than he does Job. He shows compassion on Job. But Job's friends, not so much. So it's interesting that Zophar makes this request. Oh, if only God would speak. If only we could hear from God now, he'd be saying the same thing, Job. But he doesn't really know. He doesn't, he doesn't understand what's going on behind the scene, scenes. And I think for us, we need to be careful. We need to be very, very careful. Not to, not to ask God to show others what, what we think they need to know. Because he may show us something that we need to know. We we need to be careful that we don't say, you know, I, I really believe God needs to show you something because God may be actually getting ready to show us something in that. And it reminds me of this teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount on, you know, one of the one of the most controversial verses in the Bible, probably judge not that you be, that you not be judged. But in this sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us that the standard by which we judge others is going to be the same standard by which we are judged. You know, Zophar is saying here that if God could show you Job, he'd be, he'd be in an agreement with me. Well, maybe not, maybe not. And are you holding Job to a higher standard than you're holding yourself? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. He says, Judge not that you you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye. And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Doesn't that sound like Zophar? Zophar is saying, Job, you're a sinner. You need to repent. And Zophar isn't understanding that there's a big plank in his own eye. He doesn't see that. Judge not that you be not judged. So Jesus here is warning us against passing judgment on others too harshly because when we do, we're going to be judged in a similar manner. He, tells us, he doesn't tell us here that we can't examine others or that we can't have discernment about, about others, but we need to be careful of the attitude that we have when we do that. We can judge in a loving way or we can judge in a harsh and unjust way. And our judgment of others needs to be completely fair, not to hold others to a higher standard than we would want to be held to. I think that's something that we're susceptible to. We never see our sin as harshly as we see someone else's. Isn't that true? Isn't that just human nature? And, but Jesus is so wise here. And it, it goes along with what Zophar and what Job's friends are doing. They're judging him according to the information that they had, but they didn't see behind the scenes. They don't know what God's doing in Job's life. They don't know, they don't know God as much as they think they do. And we need to understand, too, that God is always doing something behind the scenes in people's lives. We never really know the whole story, story, do we? So when we relate to other people, we need to do it with that idea in mind. That God's working in their lives. We don't know everything that's going on necessarily in someone's life. Then in verses 6 through 12... It says that he would show you the secrets of wisdom, for they would double your prudence, know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find the limits out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do deeper than Sheol? What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea, if he passes by, imprisons and gathers to judgment. Then who can hinder him? For he knows deceitful men and he sees wickedness also. Will he not consider it? And we'll stop there at verse 11. So we see Zophar's continued kind of arrogance in how he's dealing with Job. It's on full display. He's trying to tell Job that, that he should try to understand God's height and depth and, and his awesomeness the way Zophar does. And Zophar was making it sound like he could understand, fully understand God. And we know that no one can really know the fullness of God. Neither his love, nor his judgments, nor his wisdom. Now it says in Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are higher than ours. We don't understand them. We never can fully in this life. And then in verse 12, it's a very unusual verse. It's kind of stuck in there. It comes out of nowhere. And Zophar says, I'm going to read it here in in the New King James, and then I'll go back and read it in the NIV. In the New King James, it says, For an empty-headed man will be wise when a a wild donkey's colt is born a man. So uh, the NIV kind of gives us a little bit of a better picture. And it says, But the witless can no more become wise than a wild donkey's colt can be born human. So what he's saying here is that Job is so stupid, there's no hope that he could possibly understand anything of what Zophar is, is telling him. So he's kind of doubling down on his criticism of Job. He's, and to put it in today's language, it's like, Job, you have the capacity to become wise as much as a donkey can give birth to a human being. That's basically what he's telling him. And again, what about that judgment what about that judgment that Jesus talks about? That standard? Is he holding Job to a higher standard than he would want himself held to? And then as we close up verses 13 through 19, it says, If you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hands toward him, if iniquity were in your hand and you put it far away and would not would not let wickedness dwell in your tents, then surely... You could lift up your face without spot. Yes, you could be steadfast and not fear because you would forget your misery and remember it as waters that have passed away. And your life would be brighter than noonday. Though you were dark, you would be like the morning. And you would be secure because there is hope. Yes, you would dig around you and take your rest in safety. You would also lie down and no one would make you afraid. Yes, many would court your favor. So Zophar is is kind of telling Job here, look what you could have, Job, if only, if only, if you would prepare your heart, if you would stretch out your hands toward God, if you would put your sin away, Job, not let wickedness dwell in your tents, then look what you, you could have. And again, like Job's other friends, Zophar here, he really over, oversimplifies the problem. It's never that simple. He's basically saying God is just, Job's a sinner. If he repents, God will remove his hand of punishment. There's always more to the story, though, isn't there? Zophar is telling Job that if he puts away his sin, he could hold his head up high not fear, forget his troubles, have an abundant life, feel the assurance of God's hand of blessing, that he could sleep well and have many friends. Those are all great things. That's something, obviously, those are the things that Job longed for. He lost all of that. He lost all of that. And I'm sure Zophar understood that these were the things that Job really, really longed for. But the answer was not as simple as Zophar made it out to be. See, God's blessings are according to his perfect and unknown will. We don't know. We can't put God in a box. We can't can't identify all of his ways. That's impossible. Our responsibility is to trust that God always has the best for us, even though we don't see everything that's going on. And not to take God's grace too lightly. You know, we need to keep a short account with God. When we sin, we need to repent. We need to seek his forgiveness. But it's not to receive all these things from God. It's to just get back into a right relationship with God. So that that relationship is repaired again. That we can go to him with a clean heart. That's what we should desire. All those other things, God is going to pour those down upon us in one measure or another. And in this life, if not in this life, definitely in the next life. Amen? So, you know, God's going to God's going do to his people as he sees fit. We don't bargain with God. When we sin, we repent. But we also... Don't do it for the wrong reasons. It's not to kind of get God to do do things for us or to give us things. And then in the final verse here in verse 20, But the eyes of the the wicked will fail, and they shall not escape, and their hope loss of life. So, again, uh, you know, not a real encouraging chapter here, but I think a good lesson for all of us that, you know, we're going to come upon people who are suffering like Job, lost everything. We're going to come upon people who are dealing with something new that they don't understand, that they have no control over, and we're going to have opportunities to minister to them. You know, and Job's friends, for the most part, they were kind of, they were correct in their theology, right? We talked about this, but their application to Job's Situation was really more hurtful to him than helpful. And we, we want to make sure that we're, we're balancing that off. We don't want to misrepresent God to people, but we also want to give them hope, don't we? And so as we desire to minister to those who are suffering, let's represent God well by knowing him, by digging into his word, by asking for prayer, for by asking God to strengthen us and give us the words to say when people come to us and question and they don't understand. But represent God well to them and give them the hope that we have. Let's pray.
0: You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields.